Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Jane, do you know do you know who Joel Embiid is? Did you see the story? Do you know who Joel Embiid is? I don't. Okay. He's um he's a star player for the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, he's been injured for like the last two years, but he's he's potentially going to be like a rookie of the year. Have a real good year. He's in Milwaukee. You didn't see the story. He's in Milwaukee on Monday, 76ers, Martin Luther King Day, which I've always thought there's this interesting irony that on Dr. King's, on the day we celebrate Dr. King's legacy, we close the schools and play basketball all during the day. But that that's just an aside. So anyhow, he's he's playing with the Philadelphia 76ers against the, the Bucks. He, um, he, he's, he does this thing on Instagram where he posts things and all. And apparently on, on Instagram, I am there. It has like where you're, you put where your location is. Right. So, um, well, yeah, I just, I just threw that. I just threw the thing. What he does is, is his, oh loca- my. <laughs> his, for the location, he's got Joel Embiid and he's in Milwaukee and he uses an eight-letter word that we can't say on the radio. The last four words, uh, the last four letters are H-O-L-E. So it's blank hole. <laughs> yes. Starting with an S. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Actually, you know, I the other night, I, 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 I was with somebody, and I used that where we were walking past this particular bar, and I, I actually pointed to the bar, and that I have not used that word in years. But I said, have you ever been in this particular <laughs> bar? And they said, no. I said, well, I love dive bars. This this is not a dive bar. This is a that and I use that that eight letter word. Yeah, but it's it. the first time I've used it in a long time. So anyhow, he puts this out on on Instagram, um, and now there's some question as to whether he was referring to Milwaukee in general as being that, or whether he was referring to the Bradley Center right. as being that. It, it's sort of unclear. It's, or yeah, it's ambiguous. It, it is ambiguous. Mm-hmm. But but regardless. It's not like he's exactly an urban cheerleader for for us. So um, now the ult- the reason I bring this up is the ultimate irony is this guy he's originally from Cameroon. So if if you want to know where real eight letter words like that are, I mean you know if you're from Cameroon, you are an expert in knowing you know in, in knowing about those places because he's from Cameroon and so he probably has firsthand knowledge. So when when he says either the Bradley Center or Milwaukee, he probably must know what he's talking about because, like I say, he's from Cameroon. <laughs> Having never been to Cameroon, I really can't say. Uh, I have no problem about lump, you know. <laughs> I, no, I mean, Making I have that no assumption. I have I have no. Well, no, you'd look up Wikipedia. I mean, you're talking about the, the heart of the third world there, you know. So, but in the event, a uh, guy from the guy from Cameroon who plays for Philadelphia. I mean, have you been to Philadelphia lately? I mean, you can make a very strong argument that there are big parts of Philadelphia that you would use that eight-letter word to describe. So we've got a guy originally from Cameroon who now plays for Philadelphia who is insulting either the Bradley Center or Milwaukee or, or both of us. What do you say, huh? <laughs> I, I, it's just a head shaker. It, it, is. It, it, it is. I don't know how you how you how you make any friends, or you know, by by, by doing stuff like that. But it was uh, you. You can if you and if if you can't figure out the word I'm talking about, just put in. Trust me, put in Joel Embiid, E M B I I D, and <laughs> and Milwaukee, and and you will. You will see the, but yes, do not do it on a work computer, <laughs> right? Don't do what I did and do it on a work computer. And if our IT people check, it's because I was doing it for the radio show. All right. We call this segment of the program Dealer's Choice. It is um, what I think is perhaps the the most talkable, or at least the, the, the topic of the day that I really want to discuss with you. Donald Trump takes over in 
now about 48 hours. And obviously, one of the big issues during the course of the campaign was what do you do with the 11 million people, approximately, who are in this country illegally, many of whom have been here for years and years and are working at jobs? There is obviously a percentage of those 11 million people who are involved in criminal activity, running drugs, doing whatever. Whether it's 500,000 or a million or two million, I I don't know. But the the bulk of the people who are in this country illegally are, in in many cases, working at jobs. One of the reasons they came into this country illegally is because, you know, this was a land of opportunity. So they are working at jobs. They are gainfully employed. They are, in fact, in most cases, you know, paying taxes, and they're performing this different work. So the issue that we're going to have to be deciding is what do you do, of course, with the the non-criminal element? I mean, I, I think the what, – what was Trump calling them? The bad hombres. Okay, that's that to me is a no-brainer. You know, that you, you want to identify first the people who are involved in illegal activities, and you want to do whatever you can to get them the heck out of the country. But then you, you've got the bulk of the people that are there. Um, there's been a number of stories that are out there lately about what would really happen – If we were to suddenly come in and say, if there was a way, a realistic way, and I don't think there is, but if there is a realistic way that we could take the non-criminal people who are in this country illegally and and just simply get rid of them, what – send them back to wherever they came from. What would that do to the economy? And there's this new study that's out, um, you know, talking about how – Many, many, many of those millions of of unauthorized workers are are filling jobs in the United States that candidly a lot of Americans you know do not want to do um, there 's an estimate by somebody from New York University that says that you know if if you somehow removed all the unauthorized immigrants living in the U.S., the gross domestic product of the U.S. would decline by about 2.6%, $434 billion, because the argument is they're, they're performing jobs. They're working at jobs. They're producing things, and, and Americans don't want to do a lot of these jobs. You know, the Journal Sentinel ha- has run stories over the course of the last couple of years in Wisconsin focusing on the dairy industry and talking about how the dairy industry, in many respects, depends on the workers, many of whom are perhaps undocumented, to do work that a lot of Americans do not want to do. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Okay, let, let's tee this up and have a conversation. Are people who are illegally in this country who are working now, in many of the jobs they're working at, do you believe that they are taking away American jobs, jobs from Americans, or are they doing in large part jobs that Americans do not want to do and will not do. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And what would be the sudden effect if you could somehow wave a magic wand and say, okay, we've got all these people in this country that are doing these things. We're going to take them out of the system. Would there suddenly be, oh, gosh, you know, millions of Americans who say, hey, this is great. Now I want to go, you know, milk. I want to move to Wisconsin, and I want to, you know, um, you know, milk dairy cows, or I want to move to Arizona, and I want to start doing, you know, some of these, some more menial labor, or whatever. And 
and again, I understand not everybody in the country illegally is working at what I was just saying, describing as more of a menial type of labor. But let's be honest. That's probably what a lot of people are doing. What would be the effect? We discuss in two minutes. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you have any firsthand experience in this, particularly, like I say, we're in Wisconsin, um, you know, in the dairy industry or, you know, I don't know, some of the agricultural areas, I'd be particularly interested in hearing from you. 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'm looking at one study that was just released that estimates that if you, if just in the dairy industry, if you removed immigrant labor from the dairy industry, now the study doesn't make a distinction between documented and undocumented immigrants, but it estimates that if you remove the, the whole category of immigrants from the dairy industry, it would pretty much double the retail milk price and cost the total U.S. economy more than $32 billion. Would stuff like this really happen? 414-799-1620 is a number. Paul on the north side. Paul, you're first. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. What do you uh, think? I've been in the uh, food processing industry for about 12 years, and um, walking to a lot of meatpacking plants, and you see 300 people on the floor doing different various jobs of cutting up uh, you know, animals and packaging them, manufacturing. Right. And I would say 90% of them, whether they're documented or not documented, are immigrants. Mm-hmm. And so if you take even half of that, that leaves about 150 jobs, uh, you know, that American uh, citizens just will not do. Okay, you say they won't do it. Why do you think that? Because uh, of the working conditions, um, you know, oh. repetitive uh, uh, motion injuries yep. and low pay. It's cold and wet and damp, long hours, uh, different shifts. Paul, I worked at I worked part time one summer in college. I worked as, as a summer job for about six weeks at a large meat processing plant in the Midwest. It was mm-hmm. the worst job. <laughs> but, but, I mean, they, they, I mean, it, it was it was the worst job. I mean, I I will tell you, if I ever had any motivation about finishing college and going to law school, that <laughs> working at that meat plant, you know, in the height of summer, you know, oh my God, it was that's the hardest work. I I just that is incredibly hard work for people to do and dangerous because you're you're like you say it's cold and they're slipping stuff and you're dealing with with sharp objects sometimes. No, it was it was a nasty job. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if everyone could see what you what you saw no. in that, you know, in college, and then what I see on a, on a monthly, weekly basis, they would understand why uh, it would be a detriment to the industry. Okay. Now, some people would say, though, Paul, that that if that, that Americans would fill the jobs, but you would just have to pay more. You you couldn't take that. The, the essentially the industries are taking advantage of the undocumented foreign nationals. I understand, you know, in our case, we're talking about both documented and undocumented, but they're saying they're taking advantage of people because they're they're paying them lower than they would have to. And maybe they pay somebody $8 or $10 an hour. You'd have to pay a U.S. citizen $20. I'm not even sure at $20 you could get U.S. citizens to do some of those jobs. Sure. And then you talk about the the milk price, talk about anything, uh, the meat price. uh, It it would more than double, probably triple, quadruple. Right. It's the same thing as the, the fast food industry. You talk about fifteen dollars an hour. Well, that that hamburger is now. Right. Yeah. No. Thanks. No. I, I, I mean that that's that's just. I just I look. I I understand this is a really interesting and complex issue, but you got to think through some of these things. Lynn and Slinger. Lynn, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Um, so I actually think that's a very one dimensional way of thinking. 
So okay. I, I heard your last caller, and I totally agree. If the industry doesn't change at all, then the prices would definitely skyrocket. But I know plenty of people who want to be in the farming, who want to have a family-owned farm, and it's too expensive because mm-hmm. the prices are too cheap for them to make a living off of it. So if you take away big food, the dominant couple of companies, you would open that up to the traditional American farm enterprise that that we used to have. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can look at it the one way, or you can look at it the other way. You're actually opening up jobs Americans would want in that you can have a self-sustaining farm again rather well, than all the bureaucracy and big food companies. Well, okay, but let's, let's talk. I mean, it's an interesting theory, Lynn, and um, and I've been accused of being a lot worse than one-dimensional, so I don't take offense <laughs> at that at all. Well, uh, I just meant to study. No, no, but, 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 no, no, but I guess, um, I guess <laughs> that's a good, like I say, people said a lot worse about me. I can live with it. But I guess the, the question is, I mean, if you... Okay, if if milk prices went up, or just or you know whatever, do you really think that there's a lot of people who suddenly would say, "Gee, now I, I want to move out and I, I want to start my own farm"? There, there's probably some, but I, I just—I well, mean, I our trend has always I, been away. It's been more towards urbanization than to like agricultural, for example. Right, but I think that's erroneous because if you look historically, any country that's done that has had problems because you have to sustain a big food business. And our country is having that problem right now. But I know I know several people who currently have farms who are unable to sell milk, for instance, right. because it costs too much for them to right. raise milk at the scale it's required for the big companies. Okay, let's so, move. Let's move away from agriculture. How about? How about the, the the jobs in Arizona? The the the, the sort of the menial work, the the gar- and I, I don't mean to you know diss people who are you know gardening or doing those type of stuff, but you know the the lawn care type of stuff, all all that. I mean, every time I'm in Arizona, I have this huge feeling that that's that it is at least it is it is people non-Americans, either documented or undocumented, that's doing a lot of of that work, the stuff that pretty much anybody can do. Do you think that Americans would really want to jump in and take those jobs? You know, my response to that is, are we so pompous that we must have those jobs filled? We can't take care of our own lawn. I mean, if we're truly the rich nation that we are, we can afford to have anybody do our lawn, or we can step up and do it ourselves. So I think the process involved is the part that gets overlooked a lot of times, because you would have to phase out that um, number of people. It wouldn't suddenly be minus 11 million people. You'd have to phase that, and so it would phase out the job and phase in new ones. So I think the overall scope would not have as huge of an impact because you're not estimating the entire thing being done at the same time. Yeah, it would would obviously be gradual. Thanks for calling in. Interesting theory. 414-799-1620. I just, I mean, mean, you've got all these businesses that are are, set up. I mean... I think that that is an interesting point that she makes. You know, do we want to really do, do we want to change our, our lifestyle? Do we want to say that, OK, we're going to get to a point where, you know, average people aren't going to be able to afford to hire somebody to cut their lawn or, or do the, the gardening because, you know, the rates are going to have to go up so much that it's only going to be the wealthy people that, that do that. I mean, do, do we really want to do it? I, maybe my premise is wrong. Maybe that a lot of people are taking these jobs um, if they were open You'd have, you know, Americans who were jumping at the opportunity to do it. I, I just, I, I have trouble with that. I certainly don't think that's the case right now. 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Betty in Waukesha. Betty, good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Betty. 
I don't know what your last caller is living in, but she's not living in reality. I know that world. Um, first farming all, we're talking about. Yes. Dairy farming is very, very tough. And if you do visit the commercial dairy farm, like you said, either legally or illegally, the immigrants are working these farms. Urban farming is a rich man's sport. Right. <laughs> you have to have money to do that. I know some farmers that are still farming, but they're still hoping that their sons and sons will have sons to work in the business. Yeah. But it's a rich man's sport. This is not. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. right, and it's—I mean, look, I, I mean, I—I've never been a dairy farmer, but I, I visited lots of dairy farms. I know people mm-hmm. are. That's incredibly hard work. I mean, those, oh. those, those cows don't know. Those cows, all they know is they got to be milk. They don't know Christmas Day. They don't know New Year's Day. They don't know Super Bowl Sunday. They just know that they got to be milked X number of times a day. I, not only that, Jeff. Think about the vaccinations. Think about that side of it. It is enormously costly, and you are exactly right. So you think that if if some, somehow you waved a magic wand and you said that everybody who is working in this country who is an indoc, undocumented individual if if we if we made those jobs those people somehow go away that this would have a huge impact on a lot of industries particularly like dairy farming or farming in general Not at all Thanks for the call appreciate it mm-hmm. we continue the conversation Thirty-four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. I, I just, I throw this out because I'm really, I guess I don't have a strong position on it, but I, I try to live in the real world. When we talk about immigration issues, clearly, anybody who's in this country illegally and is committing criminal acts, they, they need to be gone. They need to be gone. But then there's this larger question about people who are in this country, in some cases, maybe decades. They're here illegally, but they are. They're undocumented. They're working. They're performing jobs. What would happen to the economy if suddenly they, they they disappeared? Are they really taking jobs that Americans want to fill? And you know, my example was okay, some lawn care stuff maybe in Arizona, but we're talking about the dairy industry as well. Ron in Fond du Lac. Ron, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. How's it going? Very well, thank you. You are a dairy farmer. Yes, I am. That is hard work, my friend. <laughs> I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Yeah, I've learned that. Uh, I just wanted to call in response to the two ladies ago with the one that said if you eliminated the big dairy farm, right. you'd have lots of people coming on and starting their own small dairies. Right. It wouldn't happen, Jeff, guarantee you. Tell me why. Seven days a week scares them off. Yeah. I can, I've got um, friends whose sons grew up in, in the dairy industry, and they left because of that reason. They're, they've still, there's some working in the dairy, but they're working on larger farms, and they get five days a week and a weekend off or like you said they like to watch the super bowl or whatever they're not going to be out milking cows well right i mean it's i mean i just i really hit home because i remember when i was running for statewide office a long time ago i mean i i spent a lot of times meeting dairy farmers and talking to people in that area and it's just it is incredible how hard that work is it's seven days a week it's even the physical labor is really reduced because of mechanical stuff and technology it's just uh being there Right. You got to be there. A lot of hours a day, a lot of days a week, all the days of the week. So that's what scares people off. Right. So it's, I mean, if all, right. I, I th- thanks for the call. I really appreciate the perspective, Ron. I mean, that's, and 
And then you'd also have to deal with the flip side of it, which would be the the cost involved. Because okay, if the, the idea, and I, I appreciate you know our caller Lynn. I mean, appreciate what she was arguing. She's saying, well, okay, you know, if we could get these smaller dairy farms, one of the reasons people don't go into this industry is that okay, there's not enough money to be made. So okay, let let's just like take that to the next logical step. All right, you. If you're going to be, if it's going to be more profitable, say for the dairy farmer, just using this as an example, that means that costs are going to go up. If the dairy farmer is going to make more money, and I'm, I'm not against people making money, but if the dairy farmer is going to make more money, that's going to mean because their their charge their product costs more. Well, that means that the average citizen is going to pay more for that. I, I don't know. Are we ready for that kind of change in our economy? Let's talk to David in Wanakee. David, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. David. Okay, let's try Lou in Oconomowoc. Lou, you're in 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, I, well, my thought is, um, like telling your uh, producer, yep. the 800-pound gorilla in the room's always been and always will be, uh, especially you were talking about these manufacturing plants, right. meat processing places. If you, I, I grew up in central Iowa. I've done dairy farming, but you see how they go into these places, and they'll take four or five hundred people out at a crack, you know, and right. they didn't land there accidentally. They were illegal. But, you know, but like I say, we, we Americans are so spoiled and we are so locked into this idea that for some reason, their their life, you know, their time, their hours, you know, these right. both uh, should be determined at such and such a price. Um but, but we're more than willing, and like I say, and we to this day we and I think immigration's not going to get done until we start seeing some of these owners and some of these people that are employing them in grand skills like that right. at the head of the line walking out there. But right. until we recognize the fact that that's that's what it is and it will always be, and we will always have illegal immigration because there's always going to be, you know, it's it's like. Okay, so let me ask you this. So is the American public ready for that? Is the American public ready to say, okay, we're going to – we are – if we're going to turn these jobs, um, if if we're going to say, okay, you need to pay somebody – $20 $20 an hour to get the job done if you do away with, like, illegal immigration. Um, are, are Americans going to be willing to pay the higher prices, you know, at the grocery stores and, and elsewhere? I, I'm not convinced Americans are. Well, they're going to squawk, you know, and I understand it. I, I do understand it. But what makes us so entitled? Yeah. You know, we're still feeling this entitlement to their time, their hours, their yeah. life hours. Right. You no, know? No, I, I mean, see. I, I mean, I do agree. I mean, thanks for calling, Lou. I mean, I do think one of the key components, if we're serious, and I, I say if we're serious, and that's why on this program we try to have somewhat serious conversations about these things, because I understand there's this argument that says you may wave a magic wand and you say, okay, Jeff, what part of illegal don't you understand? These people are in the country illegally. we got to send them back. All right. But then I... The question I always ask is, I get all that, I understand all that, but then what next? You know, what what happens next? Now, I do believe that one of the key things that you need to do if you're going to choke off illegal immigration is I do think you need to you need to go after employers as well. You need to say, okay, before people employ people, you, you got to make sure that they're 
they have to do what they have to do. That is, employers to check it out to make sure that they're not hiring people you know who aren't allowed to work in this country because that that's the starting point. If if you accept my premise that the reason the majority of people come into this country is they're trying to look for a better life, they're not criminally oriented. They're just trying to look for a better life than they can find in some other country. So that's why they're coming here. Well, if we've decided that that is a problem, then you go after the employers because you kind of like try to choke off the, those jobs if we really want to do that. It's 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is a segment we do about this time every Wednesday. I call it Burn Down the Trailer Park. Now, I want to explain this. I want to explain this because, well, it's not derogatory towards trailer parks necessarily, other than the fact that when when I was in college, I never lived in a trailer park myself, but I had friends who lived in a trailer park, and I've explained this. And what an interesting combination of people there were. At the trailer next to the trailer where my friends lived, there was this woman who I'm sure she owned clothes, but but all I ever saw her was in it was a, was in fuzzy slippers and a bathrobe, cigarette hanging out of her mouth, and a glass of vodka in her hand, and it did it didn't matter. I mean that was I I think there I think there might have been a guy somebody I never never saw him, and then you just you'd see the inevitable you know vodka bottles in the dumpster and stuff. So that was that was next door, um, across the the trailer court immediately across were two guys who were pot dealers now i I did not have to speculate about them being pot dealers no i was not a customer because they would they would sit out on the picnic table and they would have a giant bag of marijuana like pounds of marijuana and i would watch them they'd just sit on the picnic table and they'd they'd put it into you know however much the marijuana they were selling and it it just i kind of think oh okay we got dope dealers two doors down on the other side of the woman who was in the bathrobe with the vodka and the cigarette were um, two young ladies who I, I would describe them as ladies of the night, but they were also ladies of the early evening, ladies of the afternoon, ladies of the noon hour. And in one highly publicized situation, which involved shots fired and police coming, they were ladies of the mid-morning as well. So it was it's an interesting combination of people. Interesting to tell stories about, but not necessarily people that you would want to live next door to for your entire life. So that is the genesis behind the stories that we talk about in Burn Down the Trailer Park. Let's get ourselves in the mood. story comes from york pennsylvania beer drinking woman launches suv into river keeps drinking cops say police pulled into a york haven boat launch behind a woman looking to arrest her from fleeing from them before they could she gunned the engine barreling into the susquehanna river the acceleration from the black 2011 subaru outback propelled the suv about 20 feet offshore according to the police when officers tried to talk to the woman who had just driven her car into the susquehanna river the police say she stayed in the car and continued to drink her beer yeah, you gotta love a woman who's kind of single-minded. The officers called the fire department, and a boat was used to get the woman and bring her back to shore. The car is sinking. The cops are there. 
She's got her Bud Light and she's drinking. That's that's the story. You got to have your priorities. Our second story, the Times of West Virginia reports on a guy who was working for a tool and dye company in Millersville, West Virginia. Apparently, the employee stole a bunch of tools from his boss. How did they catch him? Was it surveillance cameras? No, no, no. Was it um, informants? No, no, no. Apparently, the guy who stole, stole the tools, he was making calls to area businesses trying to sell the tools he had stolen. And he mistakenly dialed his employer. So the guy calls the boss and says, hey, I've got a bunch of these tools that I am looking to steal, I'm looking to sell. Would you be interested? At which point in time, the boss says, Frank, is that you, Frank? At which point in time, Frank says, not me, hangs up. It doesn't get much better than that. All right. There is a new rule in western Arkansas, a small western Arkansas community. They have now decided that they need a law that says that there is a rule and a limit as to how high your pile of chicken droppings can be. The law says that because what happened is there was a a resident of the community who had a pile of chicken droppings that was eight feet high. The pile of chicken droppings caught fire. An eight-foot tall pile of chicken droppings. You want to live next to that person. It caught fire. The wind then took the blaze, took the on-fire chicken droppings, and set a nearby pile of hay ablaze, at which point in time the flames just went nuts. The wind fanned them. It took four hours to douse the flames. Go figure. And our winners of the Burn Down the Trailer Park Award, Ref's call leads to brawl between parents at high school basketball game. A referee's call during a girls' basketball game at Haggerty High School in Florida on Friday led to an all-out brawl between parents. James Osgood Ackerman, 52, he's 52, was watching his daughter play against Lake Mary High School when he saw a referee make a call that he didn't like. So he made a comment about it. A father of a girl playing on Lake Mary's team was sitting next to him and overheard. The father told Ackerman to shut up. Witnesses say Ackerman then called the father an idiot. (laughs) Okay, this is, of course, we're talking about girls' basketball game. So, hey, the referee sucks. The guy says, shut up. The guy then says, you're an idiot. And the father dared Ackerman to call him an idiot again, according to the report. At which point in time, Ackerman took the challenge and called the man an idiot a second time. The two then started wrestling in the gym. That's when Ackerman claims the man punched him in the face. The men continued to fight until someone in the stands pulled them apart. It's a a girls' basketball game. But yet, if you live in the trailer park, those are the people that could, in fact, be your neighbors. So that's why... Ten 
1154, Jeff Wagner, 620 getting all these emails saying, are you making that stuff up about the trailer park? Hand in the air. I am not making, I am not making that up. It's, um, it was one of the interesting revelations. In the beginning, I didn't realize that the, the gals in the, the trailer two over, I didn't realize at first that they were hookers. I was a naive 18-year-old. I, I just didn't realize that type of stuff until I just started seeing cars coming and going at all hours of the day and night. And finally, there was this revelation. Actually, they were, they were wonderful young ladies. They, they were. I, I got to know them, not, not in that sense, but I did. Let me be clear here. I got to know them, not, not in that sense, though. Okay, you know the guys on the field, but what about the man in charge? What led Packers President Mark Murphy to Green Bay? How much longer will he stay in the front office? Hear from the president during Packers one-on-one with Greg Matzik Sunday afternoon at 11.07, sponsored by Pella Windows of Doors of Wisconsin, New Generation RV, and Sound Decisions Racine. All right. Now, there's going to be huge protests on, on Friday at the inauguration. There's no doubt about that. But but here's what you need to know. Um, some of the people who are going to be there oppose Donald Trump. For some, it's just a job. A story in The Washington Times, uh, this group called Demand Protest, which is a San Francisco company that bills itself as the largest private grassroots support organization in the United States, posted ads in multiple cities on Backpage.com on January 12th. The ad reads, Get paid for fighting against Trump. We pay people already politically motivated for fight for the fight for the things they believe. You were going to take action anyways. Why not do so with us? We are currently seeking operatives to help send a strong message at upcoming inauguration protests. The job offers a monthly retainer of $2,500 plus our standard pay per event of $50 an hour as long as you participate in at least six events a year, as well as health, vision, and dental insurance for full-time operatives. My God, this job's got benefits. It's got benefits. So when you see the protesters, some are going to be legitimately protesting Donald Trump. But you have to wonder, you know, how many of these are paid activists, just like just like when we had all the Act 10 controversy back in 2011 in this state. Some people legitimately concerned. A lot of people, union activists, bust in from all over the country to create chaos. I mean, whatever happened in the old fashioned days where, you know, people were legitimately motivated and didn't have to be paid to go out and protest.